Hello, I'm Nick, and this is the Niche Aviation Podcast. This week, I speak to Aaron and Joe from Simple Flying. Simple Flying is the world's largest aviation news platform. Launched in June 2018, Simple Flying now has up to 20 million page views a month. If you'd like to learn more about how Simple Flying are disrupting aviation news, then this is the episode for you. Thank you both for joining me. It's great to have you on and I'm definitely a fan of all of your work, particularly the podcast. It's like one of my aspirations to get that level of content and consistency. So Joe, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's one of the highlights of our working week. <laughs> I noticed that with your podcast, you've been doing it for a year and I listened back to one of your first few. It's amazing how much you've improved and it's way more natural than it was in that first one. It's <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It was very, very out of our comfort zone. It was not something that we'd ever really done before, you know, Tom and I. But we really enjoy it now. It really is a highlight of the week. We enjoy our little catch up and our chat on a Monday. And yeah, we're really proud that we're still doing it. So yeah, it's great. I'm sure Aaron will make sure you just carry on doing that anyway. Definitely, definitely. He has threatened to put our faces on YouTube while we do it. We were like, no. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, well, that that's interesting because I've thought about that as well. And I don't know, because obviously, like with YouTube, the searchability is so much better. Yeah. But then it's that thing, isn't it, of just having your face on. Well, we, we do put the podcast on YouTube, but just with like a sound wave, not with our faces, you know, where I think Tom would be happy because he quite likes putting himself out there. But uh, <laughs> he likes looking at his face. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's quite proud of his face, but I prefer to be more kind of behind the scenes and more of a voice than a face. But, you know, maybe that'll change in the future. You never know. Aaron, maybe if we start right in the beginning take me back to your first business. So your first business, if I'm right, was a website for helping people with Facebook games. Yeah, that's right. So it was a website called abgamehelp.com. I would have launched, it would have been, I think, 2010. So 11 years ago now. And if you remember those sort of uh, games on Facebook, like Farmville and Cityville, you always used to get those like annoying invites from friends, asking them to kind of like water your crops and stuff. So yeah, my website was based around that. And we basically helped people to play these games and kind of do it well. And then from that, I launched basically more gaming websites. But that was just you, right? No, no. I had a, a freelance team back then as well. How old were you? I was 11. I was pretending to <laughs> so be So 11 with a little freelance team, <laughs> just being like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where does an 11-year-old decide that this is... I don't know, a crazy 11-year-old maybe. Yeah, it was just kind of a, a hobby which turned into more, basically. Now, I wanted to buy myself a good computer. I wanted to buy myself an iPad and, you know, my parents couldn't do that. I kind of took it upon myself to try and turn it into a business. And yeah, it ended up doing uh, pretty well. So how well did it do and how did you focus on that? What did you, what did you do with it? So I ended up selling the business. It would have been probably back in 2012, the end of 2012. I was running it for a few years. And yeah, I got a nice five-figure sum for it. And then I went and launched a, a Minecraft website with all that money. And you did the same thing again? I did the same thing again. But don't worry, you were 13 there. A 13-year-old starting is, is a new website. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I ran the Minecraft website for a while, ended up selling that. And then I launched a network of entertainment websites, kind of focusing on travel, sports, celebrity news. And that was sort of my big break, if you like. You know, I scaled it to a seven-figure business and ended up selling that as well. It's been sort of a constant cycle of launching businesses, me getting slightly bored, 
and then selling them. And then after these entertainment websites, I launched a marketing agency focusing on Facebook. Again, I think after a year, I sold that. So it's been constant sort of launching a new business, scaling it and selling it. But with simplifying, it's very different. I'm very passionate about aviation and I'm not bored at all. In fact, I'm like, I'm the busiest I've ever been with it. So it's been a very nice business to run. Please promise not to sell us. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hold him to that. Yeah, you can Brilliant. <laughs> well, hopefully, well, actually, so it's been going for two years. So on track record, I think you've got between two and three, two yeah. or three. Or... We're going to be his yeah. longest business in a minute. So yeah. yeah, we'll know if he's committed or not. <laughs> yeah, in fact, Simple Flying already is. It's the longest business. So uh, there we Amazing. go. There's something. <laughs> So if we go just a little bit back then, so you finished school, you've sold your third business and you decided to go traveling. Yeah, it was after my fourth business that I sold. I decided to quit London. Uh, I'd moved down there for the previous businesses and yeah, kind of condensed my life down to a suitcase and yeah, went around the world. So I started in the US and then went down to the Pacific Islands then on to New Zealand. And it was in New Zealand, probably after about eight weeks of travel, I was getting itchy again. I was getting slightly bored, which is crazy because I was traveling full time, but my brain is constantly active, constantly wearing away. And it was on like a rainy night in Wellington when I was stuck inside, I launched Simple Flying. That's incredible. So why? So I've always wanted to be a pilot ever since like the age of maybe like seven or eight, but I'm scared of flying. Still am a bit. So the passion's always been there. And whilst I was traveling, I was reading a lot of other blogs, a lot of news websites to kind of stay up to date on aviation because I was flying literally every week on all these random airlines. Yeah, I thought there's kind of like a, d- a demand for a place where all this news is in one place. And that's when Simple Flying was born. It was kind of bringing everything together into one platform. And what was your initial goal as in how did you initially start it and work around develop it? My initial goal for the website and the publication was never really to make money. It was kind of a a passion project. I'd had very successful exits in the past. And it was really just to have a website which I would want to read and I would be passionate about, you know? And it really just sort of scaled up beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, the point uh, where the publication is now is crazy. I never thought it would ever kind of got to this stage, you know? Yeah. So sorry, just to drill into that is what are the sort of articles that you originally, because I, with all of these businesses, I understand they evolve over time. But if you start on like your first kind of thing, what was the, what was the pain point that you were missing from other websites that wasn't out there? It was kind of just all of the news in one place that didn't exist. Number one. And number two, it was engaging content. On a lot of the other publications, they're very text-heavy. In my eyes, slightly boring to read. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with that. But for me, I wanted lots of images. I wanted easy-to-digest content for a younger generation, let's say. Yeah, and that's the one thing I noticed about Simple Flying is you go to any article and it's just anyone can read that article and understand what's going on. Yeah, exactly. People don't have a lot of time nowadays. They're so busy getting on with their lives. We just want that content to be very easy to digest. They can do it whilst on the train, you know, wherever they are, they can read Simple Flying. So can you talk me through the early days? You're you're supposed to be traveling in New Zealand and now suddenly you start this new website. What did the early days look like? So the initial sort of stage was I wrote probably the first 10 articles to kind of get an idea of the style I would want to see. And then it was kind of the process of building out a freelance team to begin with. 
a team of journalists who would write the stories. And it was all done at a loss to begin with. It's very much funded by previous exits. And yeah, just slowly sort of building out the content. I think we started by doing about four articles a day. And I think now we're doing about 30, if I'm right, Joe. Something, so, yeah, something yeah. along those lines. <laughs> it just seems to keep growing. That's incredible. Yeah. How do you decide what to write on? What's trending? You know, we look on Twitter, we look at Google Trends, we look at press releases, we get contacted by airlines, by other people. You know, it's a constant bombardment of stories and we really just have to go through it with a, a fine tooth comb and pick the ones that we think our audience would be sort of most interested in. It's a fine line. It's a, a balancing act between the stories that we find interesting as geeks and the ones that we know are going to do well on the site. So we try to kind of strike a balance between those two ends because we need the traffic and we also want to publish the most important information. So, uh, so yeah, it's a, a tricky situation every day, but uh, there's no shortage of stories. There's always, always, what is it John Ostra says? There's always a, an aviation angle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you then start getting freelancers to help working with you. And within a year, you develop a website was getting 3 million monthly reads. When you first started, was that your expectation? No, definitely not. My expectation was perhaps half a million pages a month after a year. I would have been very happy with that. So it was kind of six times my expectations. And I was going to be doing other things on the side, you know. I was going to go into affiliate marketing and, and basically run more businesses and Simple Flying would have been a passion project that I would do on the side. But after a year, it was very much full time. You know, a crazy amount of work and you know, there's always something new going on. And how did you make, from just people reading your articles, how did you make that a business? So all through kind of programmatic advertising. So we plug in this kind of wrapper to the website and then that goes out to like 200 different ad networks and there's people sort of bidding in real time for our advertising space. So in effect, the more pages we've got, the potential is there for more revenue. I know a lot of other publications in the space, they charge like a monthly subscription and we've always been very against doing that. We want our content to be accessible. You know, we've got a very young audience as well. A lot of people sort of in the you know age range between like 13 and 18, kind of aspiring pilots, aspiring cabin crew, you know, people who want to work in the industry. And, you know, they're not going to want to be paying $10, $15 a month for our content. So it's very much about keeping it free and accessible to everyone. And I think it is that accessible, especially because I think if you... If any, particularly for me, if I find that if any news story breaks or anything, if I search for it on Google, simplifying is always the first one or two that always comes up and everything. So you've definitely done that. Yeah. I'm just going to switch it over here a bit, if that's all right, and talk to Joe a bit, if that's all right with Sure. You. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Joe, you've got a really interesting background as well, because what you ended up doing now is quite different from when you started or went to university for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to university and studied marine and coastal ecology. I did. I did. And it was my passion to travel that inspired me to do that. I wanted to have a job that would take me around the world and that I could see lots of different places with. And then children came along and you can't really raise a family while you're being a marine biologist because you're expected to live on a boat for an awful long time. And it's not really conducive to family life. So life became a bit more settled. But, you know, the passion to travel was still there. I, I worked in various jobs around ecology and around the environment over those years. But then it just didn't go away. 
I think if you want to travel and you haven't traveled, you have to travel. So we quit life and, you know, like Aaron said, we condensed our entire four person family into a couple of suitcases and, and backpacks and we took our kids around the world. So, you know, we spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and in the Middle East, Northern Africa. We lived in a roof tent on a land cruiser for, <laughs> for the best part of a year. So that's the dream. That's the dream, right? There. Yeah, we had a really good three years. And, you know, when we came back to the UK, it was kind of getting on towards my son doing his GCSEs. And as much as homeschooling went really well, we felt it was time he got socialised and all that gubbins and went to a proper school. So, uh, so yeah, we came back and settled in the UK. And all that time that we'd been travelling, I'd been earning an income by writing freelance, you know, just writing for anyone, really. And then I kind of hooked up with Aaron and found something that allowed me to combine my passion for travel with my passion for writing and, and my skills in digital publication. So it was, you know, a real happy accident that we met each other. And Yeah, uh, actually, can we just talk about that? How did Aaron persuade <laughs> you to work for him? Well, I was on a, a website called People Per Hour, which is a kind of freelance platform where you can, you know, just find your, your jobs and your gigs. And, and I saw this job posting pop up and thought, wow, that looks really interesting. And I think I just started off writing a couple of articles a week for Aaron, you know, maybe I think it moved up to like one or two a day. And as we got to know each other, we just really gelled and we've had a, a really good working relationship since then. And, you know, I was one of the first. Tom, who you'll know from the podcast, was another one of the very early recruits. And it's just kind of grown from there. I mean, you know, it got to the stage where Simple Flying was becoming so busy. I was able to drop all these other freelance contracts, you know, that were writing about, I don't know, I was writing about rubber O-rings for a little while, you know, the, the little <laughs> seals that you put in the gas tanks and stuff, which wasn't the most inspiring but it paid the bills. So <laughs> some of these I was really pleased to say goodbye to and to be able to focus in on this. And it's been a steep learning curve. You know, I've always loved aviation. My uncle worked for British Airways for a long time. My grandfather was an engineer for BOAC back in the day. You know, and there, it kind of runs in my blood, but I wasn't the most educated in aviation. So I kind of had the passion, but not the knowledge. And now I feel like it's really scaled up because this is my 100% focus day in, day out. I, I eat, sleep and breathe aviation. And yeah, hopefully I'm becoming a more knowledgeable person on the oh, subject. Oh, definitely. <laughs> the amount of content that you're putting out on both your podcast youtube and also I'm, I'm sure it's all coming in don't worry <laughs> yeah it's, it's almost like the ultimate education isn't it writing it really probably is. thousands of articles over your three years that was simplifying it's uh bonkers you, you can't get that at university i don't think <laughs> <laughs> no no you should be paying aaron for your education <laughs> don't suggest that to him you know he's an entrepreneur right <laughs> don't give him ideas next we'll have the simple flying degree <laughs> yeah come and work for free for us for three years in fact you pay yeah. us <laughs> love it love it i'd be interested to understand what it's like to work for simple flying from both of your perspective actually for me it's it's awesome it's a job that doesn't feel like a job it's doing something that i love and you know i can't wait to do when i wake up in the morning you know it's the first thing i do is start looking for stories and reading what we've published overnight and it's a lifestyle it's really cool and because i've got the family and because i can work from home you know it all fits around what i want to do and aaron's a great boss you know he's always very understanding if we've got 
reasons to not come to work or issues that are troubling us he's always willing to go the extra mile to kind of sort it out for us so yeah for me I've landed on my feet and I'm well happy (laughs) (laughs) that's good to hear thank you I think for me it's very much about the work-life integration so again I run Simple Flying but also have a a fun life as well and it's going to sound weird saying this but when I'm working and you know doing stuff for Simple Flying I'm the most relaxed I actually find it relaxing. It's really weird. (laughs) It's like a passion. It's relaxation. And yeah, it doesn't feel like work. I think I'm happier working than when I'm not, which I think is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But if we talk about the specifics there, if like you are all remote as a company. And so Aaron, you're living the sunny dream in Portugal and Joe, you're in Cornwall. But where is the the team and how big is the team and, and where are they all based? And how do you make sure everyone's working part of your overall mission? Sure. So the, the company's based in the UK and we have full-time employees in the UK on payroll as well as Germany. And then we've got freelance staff based in the US, Australia, India, and a, a bunch of other countries basically. And we all communicate on Slack. We have a monthly quiz. Like We try and be as integrated as possible. And now on a normal year, we'd be at air shows, we'd be at media events, so we'd be meeting each other. You know, We haven't been able to do that recently, but hopefully you know, towards the summer, We'll all be meeting up and having fun, basically. We want to see each other. So it's, uh, yeah, we will see. We do. I mean, it's been, you know, a difficult year for everyone. And I think remote teams, in some ways, we've survived better than some because we were kind of used to it like this. But we have had less physical contact, if you like, than uh, than we'd have liked to have had. But like Aaron said, it's been great. We've set up these team meetings where we all kind of meet on a Google Hangout and have a bit of a chat. We have a quiz once a month, which usually involves quite a lot of alcohol. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really good fun. And and the people we've got on the team, you know, they're our friends as well as our colleagues. We have a really good time together. So it helps to make the work not feel like work at all. Oh, man, it sounds like the dream. <laughs> Do you want a job? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but if anyone does want to work for Simple Flying, what's the best way of them getting in touch? So we don't have any open vacancies, but I recommend that people check our jobs page once a month. And if we do have jobs, you can apply there. Be on like a Google form, you submit your CV, your LinkedIn profile, your experience. And yeah, we will be hiring soon with our new projects. I'm very sure of that. Oh, brilliant. Which will be released first on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, this is a really good segment because... I've gone out and this is quite different from my normal podcast, but given you guys are the experts and you see all the content and you basically know everything, I think given on your knowledge base, you're probably the most expert people to answer these questions. So I've set you a couple of questions and it'd be interesting to if we can talk about them. So the first question I asked is out of all of your research and all of your knowledge you've done, what's the most obscure or unique flight route? It might not be the most obscure or unique, but I couldn't talk about a flight route without mentioning my favourite island of St. Helena. This is a tiny dot in the Atlantic Ocean. It's thousands of miles away from anywhere. It's about as far away from everywhere as you can get. I had a wonderful interview with the operator of the airport and their process manager last year. And there are so many misconceptions that have grown up around St. Helena's airport and how useful it is or how useless it is, as they like to say at the time, you know, and for 500 years, that island's been inhabited and there's been no flights. So getting on and off the island takes six days by boat. And those boats only came once a month. So, you know, the airport's been a game changer. It really has. 
And of course, they had that proving flight from Comair with the 737 that had the bit of a wobble and got it a terrible reputation for wind shear. But I'm on a, a mission to, to let people know it's not wind shear, it's turbulence. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're single-handedly doing the St. Helena's tourism board right here? I am, exactly. <laughs> it's the one place I really, really want to go. And, you know, I think the airport's proven itself with, you know, Titan Airways is flying the 757 in regularly. And Airlink was serving it once a week up until COVID. And I want to go. So, yeah, I'm really keen to put St. Helena on the map and let people know it's not useless. Where is the starting? Where they take off to get to St. Helena? Is this with Titan Airways? Because they come down from London. They have to stop in Accra on the way for refueling. And then they land. uh, Yeah, that's right. And then they land in St. Helena. And they usually do a little tag flight to Ascension Island and back again as well, which is obviously vital for the people that are on the military base there. Airlink was coming across from South Africa. And hopefully post-COVID, if we can look forward that far in advance, they will be coming back with a, a regular service there. Yeah, those South African Airways have had a bit of a terrible time with COVID and everything else. So fingers crossed that will be... Well, they have, but Airlink's completely broken away from South African Airways now. It is standing on its own two feet. It's rebranded, it's repainted its planes. So I hope to see them back in St. Helena in the future. Yeah, actually, weird story about Airlink is... So I grew up in Zimbabwe. My mum still lives over there and I still go across there. And last year, as coronavirus was all hitting, I was due to fly. Well, I flew down to Johannesburg and I was due to catch the Airlink flight from Joburg to Bulawayo, which is where we live in Zimbabwe. And the flight was cancelled. But it was a good thing that flight was cancelled because we had to stay there overnight. And that evening, South Africa closed their borders and sent everyone back. But if it didn't happen, we would have been stuck in Zimbabwe for a good three months. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I was in a similar situation in South Africa again. I was there sort of March time and I was one on one of the last flights leaving Cape Town back to Europe before they all sort of closed up. It must have been around about the same time then. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. I was booked on four flights and only one of them took off. It was crazy. So the next question here is, I came up with this because Simple Flying recently made, well, not recently, I think it was last year, you made an acquisition of a connectivity partner. And so... I assume that you guys are the connectivity experts out there in the market. It'd be interesting to understand within in-flight connectivity, what's the best innovation that you've been writing about and seeing? I wouldn't say we're the experts at all. I mean, we are working very hard to become the experts. And, you know, if you think aviation news is a steep learning curve, this was a whole other ball game. But it is a really exciting and interesting field to be writing about and researching. And, you know, for me, in-flight connectivity, the whole thing is incredible. You know, it always amazes me that people complain about slow Wi-Fi when they're in a metal tube, thousands of feet in the sky, traveling at 500 miles an hour. I mean, isn't it amazing that we can stay connected at all it's uh yeah and what airlines are trying to do you know they're creating a seamless experience from the ground to the air and back again there's lots of people involved in that process there's you know the satellites are are getting better the antennas are getting better the routers on board are improving all the time and it's mind-blowing when you start to realize how much goes into just getting wi-fi onto the plane at all but in terms of new innovations for me it's got to be artificial intelligence i think that's really going to change the game over the next few years 
things like the connected aircraft being able to feed back its maintenance status to the ground crew when it lands and letting the catering company know what stuff needs restocking in the galley and and all this can add to sustainability as well because you're not just taking entire galley carts off and replacing them you can just replace specific items and for passengers it's going to be really cool because we can start getting predictions when we get on board you know seats can be put in the position we like the most and the IFE can suggest the films we like the most and the whole idea of kind of carts being pushed up and down the middle of the aisle and in-flight magazines, you know, it's all a bit archaic now. I'm really looking forward to the day when there are no more <laughs> in-flight carts and in-flight magazines and we can just have a digital download and we can order at our seat when we want something. And uh, yeah, like I say, it's all about taking weight off the plane and in-flight connectivity is completely enabling that to happen. That's really interesting. And I, I completely agree because especially within the UK, I'm not sure if you guys have done any work with the ATI, but the, the investment going into in-flight connectivity is amazing. It really is. And they're focused. I, I saw some latest announcement yesterday. There's quite a lot of companies in the Southwest which are benefiting, particularly within that, exactly that. So I definitely agree. Although I quite like the cart and, and wait and having people come down to serve me. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think, you know, with COVID particularly, it's yeah, kind of changed true. the way we think about interactions on board. And, you know, it was long overdue, really. I mean, there's no need to be carrying all those products on board when we can just either pre-order or order at our seats or whatever and, you know, reduce the weight. So what you're saying is it's more of a way for the airlines to make even more cuts to our flying experience. And we just won't get food on planes unless we pay that extra I think that's a different way of looking at it I think it's more <laughs> about reducing the waste I mean if you see the amount of airline food that gets thrown away at the end of a flight it's sacrilegious really and it's time it was changed that is true fine I'll give you that one Joe. oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> so two more questions we're getting down to my favorite and hopefully my audience's favorite what business or product do you think is going to significantly change and maybe it's actually linked to this one but significantly change the passenger experience over the next few years so for me you know I think it's an obvious one but biometrics is the really next big thing everybody wants to go touchless and particularly in our COVID experience we don't want to be interacting as much as we used to and there will come a stage when our face is our passport you know we don't need all that paperwork and we can check in we can board we can even start paying for items just by using our face or a retina scan and you know once those biometric processes are fully integrated into the flight experience everything can be personalized you know I mean how cool would it be to get directions to your specific gate for instance by looking at a screen in the you know one of the terminals and uh, it's all done for you because it recognizes your face and it tells you about your destination or it tells you where you've got to go next and I think you know the potential for this to be really cool and to massively improve the passenger experience is just huge so yeah can't wait to see more biometrics personally yeah I'm excited for it speeding up the boarding process because that's something that I just I blows my mind the fact that I used to fly up to Edinburgh for work between London and Edinburgh and I worked out it was about 10 minutes by the time you've gone to the airports on both sides taking the train there was maybe half an hour in it 
Yeah. <laughs> just because of that. Because of that. And it's only going to get worse with them having to check, you know, PCR status and vaccine certificates and things like that. So I think the, the sooner we can get a digital identity based on our, our face or our eyeball or something like that, it's just going to be good for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Final question. <laughs> this is my favorite. Is your favorite niche airline? I bet Aaron can guess <laughs> what airline I'm going to pick. I can. I will let you reveal. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite niche airline is not with us anymore, sadly. Oh. But it is, of course, the wonderful Flybe, which, oh. as your listeners will know, was a significant European regional airline. It was a, the world's biggest fleet of Dash 8400s. And Flybe actually came about the year I was born. So, you know, for me, it's kind of grown up with me. And I'm sad that it didn't last as long as I have so far. <laughs> you know, I'm from the southwest of the UK. So for me, I grew up hearing the sound of the turboprops, seeing the purple planes, you know, and, and it was our link to London when the trains were just hideous and horribly expensive and we needed to get there quickly you know we could hop on a plane at Exeter and be in London in under an hour and there were so many reasons to love Flybe it's very sad they're not with us anymore you know I hope somebody will step in to fill their shoes because they are sorely missed particularly in this part of the world yeah and it'll be interesting I think from the regional perspective to see what Logan Air do but yeah. then from the the UK, and it'd be interesting to see who fills that gap, in, especially if Ryanair pounces on it. I'm sure they, they always, Ryanair always seems to time every kind yeah. of cycle very well. They are good at that, but I think a lot of the flyby stuff was so niche. I don't think it's got enough footfall for Ryanair. So I think, you know, a lot of those very regional, very crucial routes for the rural communities will be left very underserved with flyby's demise. So a big shame. Actually, being based down in Cornwall, I was surprised that you didn't mention another niche airline you have in Cornwall, and that's the Isle of Scilly Steamship Company. Uh, do you know I haven't heard of them? They just do the flights to the Sillies, don't they? Yeah, from Land's End to the Sillies. Yeah. It's a really short flight, but they fly all the post, all the Amazon stuff and all the stuff every day, and then the flowers and gin back. Nice. <laughs> but actually, so I had them, someone on the podcast last week, a company called Fly Logics, and they have specialized in... Well, they use drones and they're looking at that route of using drones to fly oh, stuff amazing. like that. And it's this, it's this perfect test bed for it because it's there are relatively simple to fly to and from. It's not a very big distance. It's not like you have to worry about too many buildings and things. So that might be the first drone flight scheduled route by the end of the year. Oh, cool. That could wow. be you really cool. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. And it's great to have your expertise. Maybe hopefully at some point I can just, Aaron, I can steal her and bring some knowledge into my podcast. Aaron, <laughs> yeah. if we go back to you, it'd be interesting to understand, if I look at you now, two years on, you are one of the biggest airline publications there is. You've got a successful, I'm not sure, I can't remember how many your average monthly page reads. Yeah, we're doing about 12 to 15 million pages a month at the moment. Wow. Not only that, is you have two YouTube channels mm -hmm. and a podcast. Yeah. If you were sitting back two years ago, is this is kind of like exceeding your expectations? Just a bit. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a bit bonkers, really. But I'm yeah, very excited for what the future holds. We've got a lot of very good things under the works, which we can't reveal yet. We're kind of keeping hush-hush about it. We're really just at the beginning of what we want to do. And, you know, more and more will be revealed over the coming months. But if we go to that and drill into that, 
how have you grown this so quickly? I think just good content that people want to read, effectively. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that, but how have you focused on good content? Well, one of my previous businesses, Wiz, I was spending probably close to a million dollars a month on advertising. So I was writing all of this ad copy, all of these sort of headlines and images. And for me, I've taken that sort of learning and drilled it down into our content managers. So all of the content we're sort of doing is based on that philosophy, based on that learning of uh, you know, how we structure our headlines, how we structure our images, and you know, how we structure the overall content. It's very much kind of taking those learnings and putting it into Simple Flying. And I, I didn't think that would be possible, really, because you know, it's completely different. It's worked well. It really has. And our recruitment strategy focuses on that as well. You know, when we take on a new writer, we want someone that loves planes and loves aviation, but primarily we want somebody that can write because we can teach them about planes and about aviation and we can help them grow as as an expert. But, you know, first and foremost, they need to be able to create engaging content. And that's kind of the opposite way, I think, than a lot of specialist publications have grown up. They they kind of go for the specialist first and then try and make them into writers. And I think, you know, in some ways, people are either storytellers or they're not. And, uh, you know, we, we are very proud to have a team of awesome storytellers that are creating content people like to read. That's very true. But on that as well is the because now I think I look at you as not just the blog, I also see you as your YouTube channel is a completely different market to me. It's the people who don't want to read and same with the podcast. And how have you how have you done that? Or how have you kind of, I noticed that Joe's stepped up and taken the podcast. I'm sure that's involved a lot of reskilling and, and a lot of time and focusing on making that great because it is great. Yeah, I think the YouTube, the podcast, our TikTok, our social media, our app, it's all very much about brand extension. We want to be able to have Simple Flying as, on as many platforms as possible so people recognize us and people are loyal to the brand. And that's really been the approach with everything we've done. And we've even launched into China now on some like crazy Chinese video websites, which I can't understand. But, you know, people are engaging there in China with the Simple Flying logo. Brand. That's incredible. It's amazing. So we're doing loads of little things like that, really just to expand our reach and get known by people that is the strategy that's really interesting so a lot of my audience is people who work in aviation or run aviation businesses and if they want to get involved or interact with simple flying or get some of their content on silver flying what's the best way of them doing that or engaging their audiences well, they should probably message Joe on LinkedIn if they've got a good story. <laughs> <laughs> they can go from there. Absolutely. If someone hasn't or doesn't currently use Simplifying, can you explain kind of how you work with airlines or companies that work in aviation? Yeah, I mean, we're always up for a good story. We are very much focused on um, commercial aviation, passenger more than cargo, and people need to understand that. So if they come to us with a, a story about how many private jets they've sold this year, we're probably not going to be entirely 100% behind it. But, you know, in terms of like what we do, we're always keen to speak to people about new stories and um, we're always keen to interview as well. We're, we're doing a lot more kind of interview-led content I'm really trying to get in with some of the bigger airlines to speak to their leadership teams about future strategies and things like that. So any opportunities along those lines, we're always keen to hear from people. So, Joe, Aaron tells me that you're um, moving on to and you're going to start doing events. 
Do you reckon you could talk about a bit more about this? Absolutely. I mean, I guess by the time this podcast goes out, it will have been and gone. But we are super excited, looking forward to our very first webinar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, webinars have been huge since everybody's been locked down and working remotely and we've avoided them. But, uh, you know, we feel like it's time to step up our game. And uh, we're really chuffed that we've got Sir Tim Clark from uh, Emirates as our first webinar guest. Hosting the webinar, we've got the amazing John Grant from OAG. He also works with Midas Aviation and Aviadev Consult. And he's, you know, he's one of those guys that's not afraid to ask the really difficult questions. So we're looking forward to a really good discussion with Tim. And we're hoping that that is the first of many. Obviously, we need to see how it goes in terms of viewer numbers and, and the interactions we gain. But if all goes well, we're really looking forward to planning a second one. And, you know, maybe in the longer term, there'll be a, an in-person event run by Simple Flying to look forward to. But like everything we do, it's suck it and see, see how it goes and make a decision from there. So, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> I've subscribed to the event, so don't worry, I will be there. Oh, amazing. Looking forward <laughs> to it. Don't worry. How did it come about and why did you decide to move into this? We love going to aviation events. Ultimately, we like interacting with people in the industry. We've got a big audience of people who work in the industry. So we thought, why not do it ourselves in a simple flying way? So, you know, we're really sort of planting the seed with this first webinar. But ultimately, as Joe said, if we can be doing in-person events where we bring the community together, that would be incredible. Certainly in the next few years, we'd love to do that. It's very much, again, just an extension of the simple flying brand. You know, if we can reach people in that way, then let's do it. Let's see how it goes. I look forward to those events and especially the in-person ones. I'll be yeah. keeping my fingers crossed for this summer. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you both for your time. This has been amazing. Hopefully it won't be the last time that we do this. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been great. Amazing. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For anyone interested, Simple Flying are hosting another event this Wednesday with the CEO of Qatar. I've put the link in the show notes below, so do go and register. Thank you once again for listening and have a great week.